in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. Today, I'm excited. Brian, what is one of the things that excites me most in this world, do you know? I'm going to go with sports. That's true, but also first-time guests excite me. And today we have a first-time guest on the show, Mr. Keaton Lindbergh, uh, office foosball champion. Nice. Here he is now, uh, Keaton. Reigning champ. Would you, would you say you're a local celebrity? Uh, I am at 87 or at, at 2840 Liberty Ave. I'm definitely It's kind there. of a big deal. Yeah. So, Keaton, you're not just some architect. You're a landscape architect. Tell the people at home what that is. Well, the landscape architect gets to work on everything outside of the building. So I work with Russell at 87. I'm on the landscape architecture team. So Russell will work on the building and then hand it off to me to complete the public spaces outside. It's true. Without, without Keaton, our buildings would just float in a giant pool of white nothingness, kind of like purgatory, just floating there, suspended in space. Pretty much, I yeah. see, I, but I hear that's where they keep the coffee mugs. <laughs> uh, as Brian mentioned, though, sports do excite me. And I can't believe we made it all the way to episode 39 without getting to a sports movie. Brian's also a good sports nut. And Keaton, you like sports, right? I do. I love sports. It is a really strange thing, though, uh, if you think about it. Like how I understand that we were wrapped up and like getting it off the ground. And then, you know, we kind of was getting into our thing. But man, how have we not done a sports movie yet? I don't know. We did How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days before we did a sports movie. <laughs> Let that sink in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's shame. <laughs> uh, just to get a feel for who Keaton is, let's ask him a couple questions. On In theme of today's show, who is your favorite hockey player? So, being from Pittsburgh, I think everybody should know my answer. It's got to be Sidney Crosby, favorite hockey player. I think he's he's the most selfless player that that I see in the NHL and definitely the kind of player that Herb Brooks would want on an Olympic team or that that anybody would want on their team really. Just an incredible all around all around player looking for for a team that will win, not always try to score goals but passing it around too. It's kind of funny. Sidney Crosby has the Tom Brady effect for those of you who don't watch hockey. Like if if he's if he's on your team you love him. Yes. But unfortunately outside of your market uh, he is not well liked. Uh, again, sure. like Tom Brady, he's got it all. Like he's the best player in the league. He's got the Stanley Cups, the you know Canadian team gold medal. He's a ladies liked Sidney Crosby. I mean, oh, yeah, uh, yeah it, it's it's a very similar thing to liking Tom Brady. So whenever I hate Tom Brady, I kind of sometimes stop myself and remember. It's like, well, I do like Sidney Crosby, and that's what the rest of the country feels like. So, yeah, yeah I know everybody is is against him, but that's okay. But when it's your guy, it's fun. On that note, though, who's your favorite athlete of all sports? I think I think I have to say Saquon Barkley is going to be my favorite athlete for my my next probably 
his whole career, really. So you were a Penn Stater. Did you see him play while you were at Penn State? I did, yeah. We were there at the same time, so that kind of like made me really follow his his football career, and now he's, I mean, he was incredible in his first season, so it's a lot of fun to watch, and he's doing doing good things. So uh, your starting salary is pretty much the same as his starting salary, yeah, right? Yeah, pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. definitely. <laughs> Brian, I'm going to throw this one to you, too. Who's your favorite athlete of all time? I'm kind of a basic bro on this one, uh, going Peyton Manning. I love Peyton Manning. As a UT guy, I, I fully approve of these answers. I really grew up as a uh, as a no sports team kind of guy, and then my mom moved to Indianapolis, and uh, yeah, I went to a couple games, and I was hooked. I was actually on the practice field uh, the first year they got him, so it was. Uh, it, I kind of grew up with Peyton Manning. So that is your favorite of the, the Manning NFL. brothers? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that'll be. That'll be my favorite of all of them. I, uh, you know, no, no disrespect to Eli. I love the issues that both Manning brothers have given Tom Brady throughout the years. I, I like to think that if Tom Brady had the chance, he would go back in time and assassinate Archie. Well, while I'm a Pittsburgh guy and I like Pittsburgh teams, uh, I'm and after we've like thoroughly like trashed Tom Brady throughout the start of this episode, <laughs> I'm going to have a little bit of redemption for the Massachusetts and Boston markets. My favorite athlete of all time is Larry Bird. I just grew up loving Larry Bird, and uh, the guy could just do everything. It was electrifying to watch him play, and I wish I had been born a little bit sooner so I could see more of his career, but I love Larry Bird, so that's my that's my pick, but I like both of your picks as well. So, I think Saquon is going to be the goat of our generation. He'll be the, the face of football for us, like just like Peyton was. Really? Okay. Brian, Brian. And let's, and let's just be clear here. Larry Bird isn't white. He's clear. <laughs> so Father's Day is coming up. I just wanted to ask you, not necessarily any sporting movie, but what movie do you enjoy watching most with your dad? One of our favorite movies to watch together has always been Gran Torino. Oh, it's a good movie. And he's like, yeah, great movie. And we, we just always like watching that. And I think my dad just loves the, the Gran Torino itself. <laughs> probably his favorite part of the movie such a good movie i really enjoy that one i don't know that it's retro yet but uh, someday i hope to do that one probably getting close though maybe uh brian what's your favorite movie to watch with your dad my dad was a big history buff he rubbed off a lot on me growing up so i would say the movie that he and i end up watching the most together is either glory or gettysburg okay those are both good ones and uh i'm gonna go with what about bob love it my dad uh Loves it, and every time we watch it, it still it remains funny every time through. So today's movie, though, we're going to do 2004's Miracle by Disney. And it grosses $64.3 million, and it places at 64th in the box office that year. It places just behind Barbershop 2, back in business, and ahead of Friday Night Lights. <laughs> 64 seems pretty crazy. Back to business. Classic. <laughs> Number one movie that year was Shrek 2. IMDb gives Miracle a 7.5. The critics of Rotten Tomatoes like it more, though. Uh, the critics give it an 80%, and the audience score likes it even more, and the audience score gives it a 90%. And uh, in terms of awards, it didn't take home any Oscars or Golden Globes, but it did take home the 2004 ESPY for best sports movie, so that's something. AFI did a top 10 sports movies list, and this was nominated for the list, but it didn't get on there. What do you think got the number one? I would have said something like Miracle being up there in the top 10. Just missed it. Brian, what about you, man? I'm going to say Rudy. Oh, 
I love that movie, but it also did not make the top 10. Really? The top 10 goes 10, Jerry Maguire. Ugh! That, that doesn't even count. <laughs> Nine national drama that has sports about it. Ugh. Disgust. <laughs> a human head weighs eight pounds. I hear. National Velvet is number nine. Breaking Away was number eight. Caddyshack was number seven. The Hustler was number six. Bull Durham was number five. Hoosiers was number four. Pride of the Yankees was number three. Rocky was number two, and Raging Bull was number one. So they like the boxing movies. Okay, so I just, not to get into a top ten, I'm not going to do that, but <laughs> I, I'm just going to give you three movies right now that it's just disgusting didn't make that list. 61 Star or uh, Major League was an amazing sports movie. Uh, there's no golf in there. Caddyshack. Oh, that's true. What There's one golf movie in there, so you're not seeing, like, The Legend of Bagger Vance or... Um, Heck, you could even go 10 cup if you if you're really insisting on making a list of movies that had sports involved with it and not like a strictly sports movie. I'll even toss in um, any given Sunday. That's surprising. I'm not saying that these should be in the top 10, but Rudy obviously should. Remember the Titans could have been. Oh, yeah, that's a Moneyball. I agree, though. I think Rudy should definitely be up there. Top five for me. White men can't jump. Chariots of Fire? Like, is this real? Is this, this, this is a public list, right? This, this is the American <laughs> Film Institute's top 10 sports movies. So. Can I just note that only one movie in that top 10 list was made in the last 25 years? That is true. Uh, well, I don't have the year that they made it. So for one, they probably made it 10 years ago. There's probably something to that as well. And the newest movie on there would be Jerry Maguire. Yeah. The, the most... I'll say this one more thing. The most erroneous omission on the entire list is definitely Cool Runnings. <laughs> Another Family Guy reference. What's not that great, but isn't that bad? Cool Runnings? Yeah. <laughs> How about Space Jam? Where's Space Jam at? No love for Michael on this one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, uh, to get into this one, though, Keaton, had you seen Miracle before? If so, when was your first time, and what were your thoughts coming in back to it now? Yeah, I've, I've seen it many times. I think I probably first saw it when it came out in 2004. I was, not, I think, nine years old then, and definitely loved it. I remember once I got it on DVD, eventually, I just watched it repeatedly. would make my sisters watch it with me and everything. Do you have the halftime speech, or sorry, the uh, the uh, period, like uh, first period uh, speech memorized? I don't think I do. I probably did back then, but it's <laughs> it, it's been years since I watched it, other than just rewatching it recent recently. But prior to that, I hadn't. I probably haven't watched it in seven or eight years. Okay, so you so you've been away from it for a while then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely a big gap in in watching it. So it was it was kind of a fresh look this time. Is it holding up? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely. It was as good as I remembered it being. Oh, and it's not getting by on nostalgia. It actually, like, you know, it's mm. it's still... No, I think I I actually appreciate the story, like the true story, history, a lot better. I appreciate it more this time than I probably did when I was 9 or 10 years old, and I was just enjoying it because it was like a good hockey film, you know? Yeah, that's fair. And uh, Brian, how about you? Had you seen Miracle before? I've definitely seen Miracle before. It's on my my trinity of wonderful hockey movies that start with the letter M. <laughs> it's 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 up there with the likes of Mighty Ducks and Mystery Alaska. 
I've heard Brian say once before, show me a bad hockey movie and I'll show you a liar. Yeah, exactly. I, I will say this on the speech thing. I could probably, I'm saying probably, give you most of Al Pacino's inch-by-inch speech from any given Sunday. Well, we'll hold on to that one for later. Uh, <laughs> did you enjoy Miracle, Brian, this time around? Oh, absolutely. This is one of those movies I could watch anytime. Like, you know, I, I talk about it all the time on the podcast where I'll be watching or turning on the TV and I'll flip by usually TNT and some movie like this will be halfway through it. And I'm like, yep, I'm watching this. And I could have it within arm's reach on Blu-ray or could switch over to digital and, and watch it on something without commercials. But I'd probably just leave it on TNT and let it roll. Awesome. But that's more about lazy. Mary and I watched this when we were in college together, and uh, we did not get to it right away in 2004. So it was definitely probably a good five or six years after it had come out, and it was probably in like the dorm hall library uh, collection of DVDs. You could just go downstairs and rent one, which, by the way, uh, every house should have a dorm room library full of just DVDs. It forces you to watch movies. It's, it's a long list of like maybe 200 movies, but it's not necessarily the thoughtful 200 movies so you end up like looking down this list and go like sure i'd watch that yeah uh this is one of those movies though it exceeded my expectations somehow i thought it would get desnified more than it did and i thought it would become uh, aimed at maybe younger audiences and it's not at all i mean it's it's really good the emotions show through i enjoyed it then and mary who actually not a huge sports fan but hockey's definitely her favorite sport she really enjoyed this one as well and so we hadn't seen it for quite some time. And I came back to it now, and I'm wondering why I haven't watched this movie since then, because it, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, it, it's somehow, it's rare that a movie can surprise you twice. It, this movie did just that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I felt the same way after rewatching it this time. Like, why haven't I been watching this on a semi-regular basis? And why am I not wearing a plaid suit like Herb Brooks? <laughs> right. <laughs> he has, I mean... I wish I had a suit like he has many in this movie. <laughs> just one for costume parties, or if I just for one day decide to go out, just looking outlandish. I, I the entire wardrobe in this movie is just top notch. Mm-hmm. I would take his hair. <laughs> of course, I'm losing it. Well, so. I, yeah, I was gonna say I would too. You know, it's funny. I posed this question. I work with three or four other bald or balding guys, and I was like. If I gave you a list of four of the worst haircut styles of all time, <laughs> and you can have one of them, so you have hair, <laughs> you have to wear it in this hairstyle, would you be bald or would you take it? I don't know, man. I, I'm now picturing you with vanilla ice hair. But you have oh, to I have mean, the eyebrow with it. I was I was thinking the uh, – who's the guy? Odell Beckham I, I Jr.? Mean, no, 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 no. The guy from NSYNC. Oh, uh, oh. Justin, uh, Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake's bleached blonde perm. Hey, it worked for him at the time. It worked for him at the time, but can you <laughs> imagine having that now? I don't know. Oof. Who are we to question the guy who brought sexy back? I'm not sure where it That's... went and how he brought it back, but apparently he brought it back. MacGyver's mullet. So today, though, we're going to get into Miracle, and we're going to have to spoil this movie. So just to give everybody a warning, there will be spoilers that lie ahead. We'll be back after these messages. 
Do you like movies but don't form a real connection with them? Or maybe you don't know where to find the right kind of movie that you will truly love. Maybe you lack the confidence to fully love a movie. Do you struggle to form deep, meaningful relationships with the films you encounter? Hello there, I'm Silky Lewis. And if you are looking to find true love but having trouble, let Silky help you. Because if there's one thing Silky understands, it's love. Let Silky help you find your true cinematic love with Retro Movie Roundtable on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. In no time at all, you'll find your remarkable movies that you will fall in love with. With the helpful insights of John, Brian, and Russell, you will soon learn what you need to know about movies. Don't hide your cinematic love that you found with Retro Movie Roundtable. Share it with the world. Tell a friend. Subscribe to the show. Give a show five-star rating review wherever you get your podcast. Like the show on Facebook. Email at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. Finding a long-lasting love can be hard, but with the Retro Movie Roundtable, you too will be in love with movies. What are you waiting for? Listen to Retro Movie Roundtable now and find love. Well, we're back, and as just to remind people, there's going to be spoilers that lie ahead. Keaton... Would you like to help spoil this movie and more importantly refresh people's memories who haven't seen it since 2004 or since 1980 when the event actually happened? Sure, I'd love to. So the story opens in 1979 with Herb Brooks, played by Kurt Russell, interviewing at the United States Olympic Committee, trying to get the head coaching position for the United States 1980 Olympic hockey team. The committee is pretty pessimistic about his strategy that he thinks he has to beat the Soviet Union, especially because they're going to be bringing back their four-time gold medal team. Ultimately, the committee gives Brooks the coaching job and sets him up for a a week-long minicamp with the best college players in the country. And just a day into the tryouts, Herb ignores the committee and sets his roster of 26 players. And these guys weren't the superstars, but Herb knew the puzzle pieces that he needed to face the Soviets. The team quickly gets scrappy in practices with old college rivalries between the players, and Herb makes it clear to them that they're going to have to play as a team or they'll lose a roster position right before the Olympic Games. The roster of 26 has to get trimmed down to 20 before the games start, and the guys know that Herb is willing to do anything to get a gold medal. During an exhibition game with Norway, Coach Brooks hears the guys BSing on the bench about some girls in the crowd, and he feels like they're not giving their best effort. As soon as the game's over, the coach lines them up on the goal line for some suicides, which are also known now in the hockey world as Herbies. This workout doesn't end until the players are puking on the ice, and Mike Arruzzioni speaks up for the team and makes it known that he's playing for the United States of America. After this point, the players start turning into a family like Herb wanted all along. Coach goes on to schedule an exhibition game with the Soviets just three days before the Olympic, the Olympics opening ceremony, which, looking back at that now, I think is just insane, because could you imagine a, a, an Olympic coach setting a team up to play a team right before it starts? It is pretty wild. <laughs> but the Soviet Union's veteran team stomps the United States 10-3, to and Herb threatens to bench the starting goaltender Jim Craig and considers releasing some of the team's key players. Everyone knows that Herb himself was cut just one week before the 1960 Olympic Games where the United States went on to win a gold medal. The Winter Olympic Games kick off and the guys find themselves trailing Sweden in game one of the tournament. Herb comes in during an intermission break and wrecks the locker room. The guys have a whole new attitude towards the game. Uh, Injured players push through their pain and the Americans make a dramatic comeback team goes on to easily win their next game against the Czechoslovakia team, which many people thought was the second best team in the world behind the Soviet Union. 
Coach Brooks and the U.S. team win their next three games to earn a spot in the medal round. Before going for gold, the United States has to face the Soviet Union as major underdogs. And the whole world just saw the Soviets beat the United States 10-3 to a couple weeks prior to this. People will assume that this game will follow suit. In stunning fashion, the Americans hang with the Soviets throughout the course of the game, and Mike Rizzioni scores the go-ahead goal to make it 4-3 with just 10 minutes left in the game. Holding off the Soviets for the remaining time, the Americans complete one of the biggest upsets in sports history. Two days later, Herb's team goes on to defeat Finland for the gold medal in another come-from-behind rally. Coach Brooks watches the boys celebrate on the Olympic podium, and they all take home the highest honor. Mm, yes, it's a, and it's a shame, too. Uh, Herb Brooks uh, was alive during the making of this movie, but he did not live all the way through to see it made, yeah. or sorry, to see it released. Brian, what do we think about Miracle? It's a weird thing. I don't know a whole lot about the game of hockey. Uh, it's it's something that I've always been interested in, but it's never been televised enough where I lived or uh, you know, I just didn't catch it. And I, I didn't really have any friends who were um, with me to watch it to kind of explain the things I didn't know. I've been to see one professional hockey game, and I was so high in the stands I couldn't even see the puck with my glasses on. So... Um, I've I basically lived vicariously through fictional hockey movies to to get me that fix, and uh, this is easily one of the top five, probably top three. Yeah, I think that this movie does a good job though of showing you that the events at the time were not just a hockey game to so many. It was bigger than hockey. Uh, Keaton, did the movie do a good job to you to show you the setting of how? I guess the political climate of the yeah. time. Yeah, I, I think the way they start the movie, I'm assuming all versions of the movie have this at the beginning, but the way they start the movie by showing like the the United States through the Cold War leading up to the 1980 games, I thought was a perfect way to clue you in and, and show you what the United States was going through at the time. Because I, watching it recently, I kind of forgot about all the stuff leading up to it. Like it, it wasn't just the games, it was... Like, this became America's team to watch. Yeah, like, the best team in the world was Norway. And the odds were equally insurmountable. It wouldn't be considered the great story that it is. It specifically had to do with America versus the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And it was like capitalism versus communism. It was, it was, uh, there was a lot of fear and tension at the time. And personally, uh, Brian and I would have been too young to really, really understand that the wall came down in our lifetime. But on the other hand, to really be old enough to understand the the threat and the fear of it. uh, This movie does a good job to put you back in there, just talking to like my parents and stuff like that. There does seem to be a sort of pessimism coming out of the Vietnam War in that Cold War era. And this was like a beacon of hope for for, like just something to get excited about for the that's totally true, and it, it's funny. I've had a lot of little things happen in my life recently that just put more focus on this movie. Um, my wife and I were in Berlin uh, this past fall, and you know, did a lot of those East-West block tourist stuff. You know, saw the Reichstag. I'm a big World War II buff, so really enjoyed seeing a lot of that. You know, it's uh, so we got to see all this history that I was alive for and remember none of. 
And then uh, Ken Burns recently came out with a great documentary on the Vietnam War. Uh, he did a great Civil War one back in the day, something else I used to watch with my dad. So watched all of that. So put a lot of clarity on the Vietnam War for me. And uh, here recently, uh, Jess and I watched the HBO miniseries Chernobyl, which happens after this, but still, you know, also puts you in that place, that that feeling and that that world that they were in at the time. I got to watch some documentary with the real Herb Brooks and uh, it was interesting you could see in these recordings and and honestly the recordings are a little dry like it's like a brown room and like the sounds really monotone and his voice is not as dynamic as Kurt Russell's voice it's it's painful if you're not really into it Uh, but uh, it was interesting he a lot of the things that worked their way into the movie were from this interview in terms of him talking about how he understood that they had to play differently than that they had played before and that the Soviets had a style of play that if America just took their best players and went out there and went up against them, not only did they not have a chance, they were going to lose badly. So yeah, I, I admire the actual man, Herb Brooks, for his ability to step back from the problem, reassess things, and to pretty much come up and invent a new solution. I mean, as a designer and as an architect, I just... In a way, I think that that's one of those things that makes a breakthrough in my field. And it's really interesting to see how that connects for him and his field as well. So uh, it's like it is one of those like epiphany moments that's just like, what if we use steel and, you know, concrete and it'll be stronger? And (laughs) it's like, my goodness, that works. So I feel like this time watching it, too, I noticed just what a chess match Herb was playing from the very beginning of the movie. I think you saw the moves that he made and the things that he said to the Olympic committee, just trying to get hired. Then you saw the moves he made in choosing an assistant coach. And during the entire movie, the moves he made to try to, I I just felt like the entire time he was being a teacher to this assistant coach. And you can see it all over his face during the movie where he's like, Oh my God, this guy's brilliant. Even in scheduling the hockey game before the Olympics even started, I feel like that was a calculation to bring the Russians guard down when they finally played them in the Olympics because they think they own them already. I just feel like I noticed so many pieces in this movie now where he was playing chess and everybody else was playing checkers. Yeah, I I agree completely. And to that point, I was actually thinking about a similar thing when he brings in the one of the Minnesota players like halfway through the season and mm-hmm. he's a the guy's having a great season not on the Olympics squad but having a great season himself and everybody sees him come in and he's doing pretty well with the Olympic team very quickly but everybody's like who is this guy why is he here and eventually they he he leaves because they tell her Herb they're a family um, but I was kind of thinking, like, I wonder if her really wanted that guy on the team because he thought he was going to help them win, or if he was just doing that as another way of trying to get the team to come together and be a family. It's interesting. I think in the movie it portrays it as if he was doing it to test them and to galvanize them because he really wanted them. I not agree. To, I think, he, at least in the movie, it's as if he were he was asking them where where do you or where, who do you play for, and everybody would say they're college. Like I'm mm-hmm. from Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, I'm from Boston College, and he didn't like that response. He wanted him to say, I play for America. Mm-hmm. And it took him a while to come up with that. I wondered how long and how many players had to die before someone came up with that <laughs> or if anyone ever would have. Like, that was the only part of that that I was like, 
but what if they never get it? Like he just got really lucky that the one guy was like, oh, this is what he wants. <laughs> uh, apparently the suicide run didn't end quite like that. Uh, Mark Johnson, who was, I guess, uh, uh, I guess kind of your MVP of the of the Olympics or whatever, was gassed and, uh, you know, slammed a stick up against the glass and was absolutely like, you know, gassed. And like, it was like a angry, like, we can't possibly do this. Any, like, uh, so it didn't end quite so picturesque in real life, but they really did after a game and after traveling mm-hmm. do hours of suicides or Herbie's, yeah. um, which mm-hmm. I've done suicides in basketball and they're exhausting. I can, I don't know what it's like to do that with all the hockey gear and the pads on, but I can, I'm, pretty sure that's exhausting yeah i'm yeah. not trying to make light of what they do but i have to feel that i'm with you russ i've done it in in basketball i have to feel like at least you have some momentum on your side skating across ice at a certain point i mean i'm sure he'll like call you out for dogging it and whatever but i mean does that not help at all <laughs> i think the gliding on the ice does help but like when you're doing suicides or herbies and you're going line to line like that, and you're stopping, and then ah, you have to re-accelerate yeah, off the sense. line again. I think that's the most grueling part because pushing yourself on skates, like getting up to speed, is more work I think than just like running off of a line. Oh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Well, I've never, I've never been truly able to do it because I'm like the rodeo guy from Mighty Ducks too. I, I, I can skate. I just can't stop. <laughs> Which is weird because it's not all that different from skiing, but for some reason I just can't get there. So, uh, Keaton, would you want to play for Herb Brooks as a player? I don't know. I mean, he'll <laughs> <laughs> make you better. <laughs> yeah, if if it was if it was uh, potential to go win an Olympic gold, I, I don't think I would care who I was playing for. But he's probably one of the most difficult to play for. I would think of all time. <laughs> Demanding as can be. And uh, again, the uh, real man himself in the interviews was saying that he made himself aloof from the team on purpose. He wasn't the player's coach necessarily. That Mm. is probably more trendy today. He pushed a lot of the feeling moments or the like detail moments onto his assistant coaches. So, And he asked a lot of his assistant coaches to do that because he basically had to be that guy who was the pusher. And he wanted to push them because he said... For him, it was they had to be the better conditioned team. Yeah. And he really, he said that the only way that we were going to be them was to play a different style than they were expecting, to play a different way than we had played before, and to play as a full team, but also just to really be in good shape. That was, again, Herb Brooks just knowing, like, he was just doing everything he could just to get a chance. Yeah, and I really like when the assistant coach, Coach Patrick, and uh, the doc are in the car together at one point, and... Uh, the assistant coach is asking him, has has Herb always been this way? And Doc says, no, but but he knows what he's doing. So Doc was like, he always has a reason for everything he does. Yeah, and then he says, it, maybe if the players hate Herb, they won't have time to hate each other. Yeah, and that's true. In the hockey world, you know, there's these spheres of power. Like Minnesota is a powerhouse of like hockey players. And like Boston, New England is like another culture. And they don't mix. And like there's resentment. And so it's true. You got people from these colleges and stuff like that that are pretty much wired to not like each other. And he had to bring them together as well. And uh, even in professional sports, when it's their job and they're paid to do so and they've got high paid coaches and stuff, 
I think there's many examples where guys just had a lot of talent and they didn't come together, but that was another part of the mastery of how he built this team. This movie made it sound like Herb Brooks picked his team in about an hour and then handed somebody a sheet. In reality, he had actually been studying them from a long time in advance. He had known ahead of time before he was even asked to do the task. Like, it just was on his mind, which is probably why he was the perfect guy for the job. But yeah. he kind of knew his team before the process even began. Yeah. Well, he told the one guy when he's walking to his car, he's like, I've watched film on these guys. Like, he, he went through his process just because they didn't do it all in the gym or the uh, the rink for him at that one point in time. I think he had that list done before he even showed up. Mm-hmm. And he coached a lot of them and coached against a lot of them. That is true. So he does have a strong pulse on the players. Brian? This is going to be a tough one. You can cut off where you want to. There's a lot of people in this movie. Yeah, I was just going to kind of give the the main, call it 10 people. So we're going to start with Herb Brooks, that was Kurt Russell's character. Patricia Clarkson plays Patty Brooks, his wife. Noah Emmerich plays Coach uh, Craig Patrick. Uh, Sean McCann plays Walter Bush. Uh, Kenneth Welsh plays Doc Nigabads. I'm hoping that's right. Uh, Eddie Cahill plays Jim Craig. From Under the Dome. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick O'Brien Dempsey plays Mike Yerzioni. Uh, Michael Menudo plays Jack O'Callaghan. Nathan West plays Rob McClanahan. Kenneth Mitchell plays Ralph Cox. And Eric Peter Kayser plays Mark Johnson. Yes, and there's a lot more people in this movie that yeah. all get film time <laughs> lines and important scenes. But it's a hockey team, and they put a whole hockey team's worth of players into this movie. Yeah, uh, Keaton, what do you think about the casting here? I thought it was pretty good. I mean, a lot of these guys, I read that they had played D2 or D3 hockey before. So I thought that was a great way of finding their actors, you know, guys that are, are really part of the hockey world to to be able to express that that atmosphere in the, the locker room and everything and on the ice too, just to have that flow. Like you wouldn't be able just to, I don't think you'd be able just to train uh, an actor that doesn't already skate like a hockey player to, mm-hmm. to skate like that because the style of play and everything, like you can just tell a, a hockey player from a non-hockey player whether they skate well or not. Yeah, and to that point, I was watching on the Blu-ray features uh, that the casting director, uh, Randy Hiller and Sarah Finn, these ladies had to s- search for a whole hockey team's worth of players that also had to kind of align to the real people. And so... They made a, in, with, in conjunction with the director, Gavin O'Connell, they had a hockey test before they were even allowed to try out for the acting job. So they had to scrimmage and show that they could pass a hockey test and a, a basically a competency test. And they had numbers for different things. So they'd have you skate through cones, they'd have you shoot, they'd have you receive a pass, skate backwards, check. And so you're right. They, uh, Gavin O'Connor said, is it easier to find a bunch of actors and teach them how to play hockey? Or is it better to get a bunch of hockey players and see who has that acting gene and right. can kind of adapt to what they did? I think they made the right call. If you can't tell, they picked hockey players and found the people with the acting gene. Good call, Brian? Simple, simple yes. It pays off, though, in the, in the aesthetic of the game. I mean, as somebody who enjoys watching hockey, I might not watch as much hockey as I did maybe like four or five years ago, but like, I, it looks convincing yeah. is that a fair comment yeah i agree completely another part of how they did this they they took the actual players and they showed them 
actual film footage of who was who on the ice. And so these players actually had to assume the actual position on the ice. And the filmmakers actually went to great lengths to put who are the guys on the ice in the position of each other. Who's the one shooting the goal? Who's the one passing to them? And it is similarly, those are the actors that are playing those people. They took a lot of detail and put it into that. And that carried over because those actors got to understand the style of play from the people that they were playing. And they actually ended up moving on the ice and carrying themselves and, you know, kind of taking on the personalities of the people who they were actually impersonating or not impersonating, but portraying. So these actors had to learn 133 choreographed plays. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. That's serious. (laughs) Somebody was saying, one of the actors said, hockey's so fluid. Like you respond to it. You react to what the defense gives you or it's organic. Mm. But with this, you're trying to recreate something and it's choreographed. So as this guy was a hockey player, this was a challenge for him. How did you hold your body? Which right. which foot are you skating forward with first? Because I have to pass it by the time I get to this spot, not just taking what the play gives you. So uh, it's, it's another level of conscious thinking for the actors. For sure. Some of those actors got so into character and actually looked like the real people themselves. Mark Johnson's wife actually even commented that Eric Peter Kaiser looked so much like her husband in terms of how he moved his haircut and everything like that. She said it was just, it's kind of weird. So it's like, hmm, upgrade. Younger version of my husband. But what's the upgrade, the actor or the actual Olympic player? (laughs) A lot of the interviews had the actual guy sitting next to the actor or talking about the actor who played him. And a resounding like four or five comments like over and over again. It's like, well, he's a better looking guy than I am. But I was probably a better hockey player. <laughs> yeah, and he has a gold medal. Yeah. So. <laughs> and the like, actor would be like, I'll take that. <laughs> How did Gavin O'Connor, the director, do in terms of telling the story and getting the feel of the movie? Did you like it, Keaton? Yeah, I thought he did a really good job. I haven't seen many of his movies, but I know one of his other movies, Warrior, and that's a, a boxing movie, and I, I felt like these... This movie and Warrior had a similar feel almost, that kind of like gritty, getting getting into like the, the really tough side of sports, you know. And I liked that a lot. I thought it was a good way to portray this film, especially because it's such a intense story, really. The whole process from start to finish was pretty intense, I would think, for the, the players and the, the coaching staff. So I've not seen Warrior. Tom Hardy is in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh-huh, and it's a boxing I, movie. It is, yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't remember the actor off the top of my head who plays his brother. So, yeah, I I would completely agree with everything you just said. He actually, uh, I knew him more from gritty crime dramas uh, like Pride and Glory and The Accountant, but he definitely has a style that goes across all three or all four of those movies in, given that they're drastically different. I mean filming a boxing movie and filming a hockey movie, I, I could see just being as, as far from, from similar as possible in terms of what you actually have to go through to, to get the shots you need. Pride and Glory and the, uh, the Accountant were both gritty crime movies. And yeah, I definitely think you can feel it in this as well. Yeah. I still need to see The Accountant. I've, that's been on my list for a while. Been it's, to watch it's actually pretty good. The one, the one, that came out near the same time that I didn't see because I wasn't so, you know, uh, excited about was the uh, Live, Live by Night. I'm not familiar with that. 
I actually am not familiar with much of his catalog. This is the only movie of his that I've seen. Uh, Live by Night wasn't his. Uh, the similarity there is just the fact that Ben Affleck's in it. Uh, Jane Got a Gun is a Western that he did that I, I remember at the time coming out that I had a little bit of an interest in, but uh, I never got around to seeing that one. But I do like this movie a lot, and it was interesting. He had said that he had come out of lower-budget productions in going to this, where he had more budget. He indulged in, let's do another take, let's take another shot, let's do it this way. And they had a lot of different cameras going on. They had they had uh, cameras on cranes. They had a guy on a like wooden sled with the camera down at like puck level, like with yeah. like two people skating behind him. They had a guy carrying an in motion camera, like kind of a first person, like to give you not shaky cam, but like more of an on the ice perspective of what was going on. They had in the helmet kind of a cam. They had uh, cameras on cables that were like like you could use like a computer to you know joystick to push around i'm not sure how commonplace that was at the time but now now you see it on football games that do that so that you see like this orbiting view it's very dramatic though and uh to not get the cameras to see each other in the middle of this was a a challenge but b to cut and to edit the movie he said was absolutely daunting because he had all of this footage but to actually know what to use, yeah, that was that was a big challenge. Yeah, and the the cameras you were talking about being on the ice, like at the the player's point of view, mm-hmm. I thought were really interesting because that's kind of a way. If you think about watching sports on TV, you're always watching it from up above. That's kind of having those cameras on the ice is a way to really keep you connected with the the players. I felt like, like you can actually see their faces, like their facial expressions and everything during the game which you never see in professional athletes really not unless you got great seats right <laughs> uh, and even then not not like that you're right that that makes it way more emotional and they do the camera the standard camera that you get from the audience from time to time as well mm-hmm. uh but you're right i again having played sports myself you do kind of get a little bit of the uh uh charge like the like, you get a little bit of that energy. I would say yeah. when you watch this movie, it, it, it does have a feeling of mm-hmm. the speed and the um, the excitement that comes with that. So that's a that's a, that's a very good point there. So another big thing that he realized in having people who were hockey players first and actors second, he tried to push them into roles where they kind of weren't acting, and so they actually did the Herbies for hours. Really? Yeah. So. Wow. Rather than ask them to, okay, now you're going to be nauseous. Like, one of the actors, like, I threw up multiple times. And, like, they were absolutely dehydrated. They were tired. And the director said, guys, we got to do it so it looks real. You're going to hate it, but this this work's going to live on forever. And this is what, how it was. And we got to do it. One day of our pain will equal, this this thing's going to last. Sorry, guys, the camera wasn't on. We'll have to pick this back up tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a lot of these guys aren't actors by trade most of the time or, or maybe hockey players more than actors. And so uh, they they kind of got that initiation or hazing, so to speak, or yeah. a, a real appreciation for what the actual guys who really did that did. Yeah, and I'm sure they all had done those types of suicides, which a lot of hockey players called the bag skate doing a bag skate because they say it's like you skate your bag off <laughs> um, but i think every hockey team especially if these guys played a lot of d2 and d3 college hockey they definitely had to do that before in the past and i could imagine it would only get worse if they're just doing it on end for filming 
Yeah, and they put the actors through extreme conditioning before they even began shooting. They had like a coach out there like doing like, you know, circuit training and having them run and carry medicine balls and I mean like he wanted them to be capable of skating and looking like they can play at a high level. So wow, yeah. they were pretty demanding on the actors. And they they got into it because these guys love hockey. Right. And they love the the story of the Miracle on Ice. Uh, even though it's very demanding, they got into it. Except for the Herbies. Everybody 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 afterwards was like, Oh, that was really hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fun story on that. Uh, one of the guys being interviewed said, I actually didn't have to do them. I got ejected from the game. And I was in the back room. And I was packed up and my stuff was off. And the guys had to go out there and do the Herbies. And I, I asked one of the assistant coaches, I was like, should I get my stuff and go on and go out there and join them? And he's like, no, I wouldn't if I were you. <laughs> and, and he did. <laughs> so there's one guy who didn't do it. And he's like, I was afraid they were going to hate me for it. <laughs> wow. you just see this guy like slowly backing out like a bathroom door and just like <laughs> shoot to the gif of homer fading into the bush that is true if you think about it someone's like coach i gotta go bathroom no again it's like there's yellow on the ice <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't probably the worst thing that hit the ice that night <laughs> i really like the organization of the movie though in terms of I liked, as Keaton mentioned, that opening where they do a really good job. Normally, title credits can just be a throwaway time, but they they show a lot of def American defeat. They show Richard Nixon getting impeached. They show Russia over the United States in basketball, which that's not supposed to happen. And that's a really funky thing, like where the game ended. The officials didn't speak the same language. They put more time back on the clock. They brought people back out. And like the Russians threw this like Hail Mary pass. You see it in the beginning of the movie. And like a tall guy catches the ball like two inches from the basket and puts it in like with like a second to go. Mm. And then America loses uh, in the gold medal game. Jeez. That was part of the setup for this. And then Elvis dying, the gas shortage, Jimmy Carter. Speaking to the tough times and the Three Mile Island incident and Russians are invading Afghanistan, the spread of communism. Mm. So... It is interesting. It doesn't look like a happy time by this. Obviously, it's not always as bleak as all of that, but uh, it does. It does kind of show you how this was come. What this was coming out of that Cold War tension. So yeah, they then go on to build the team. Did you like how the team assembly shots went, Keaton? The, like the tryouts, the tryouts and, and everything. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was good. I, I thought the the way they set it up, kind of with the the locker room beforehand and the Minnesota and, and Boston guys running into each other. You know that's going to be a rivalry on the ice for sure. So that was good. And then the the way they weed them out, sitting in that crowd, and they're just calling the names off. Like I think I've been in that situation before. Obviously not for something so important, but even in my youth, trying to make sports teams and stuff like that's a super nerve wracking moment. It can happen at work too. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Oh, man, if you're ever around when layoffs happen and, like, somebody gets called into a conference room and then another person gets called into a conference room and then you're like, oh, no, yep. it's happening. And then, and then, not then, me, not me, not me, not me, not me. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> uh, and yeah, but I thought, like, they, they kept showing each guy as they called the name. They're zooming in on their face and you could tell they, they felt like a major weight lifted off their shoulder. I just thought that whole... The whole selection process was pretty cool, and with Herb just sitting up there 
the whole time he already has his roster picked out. I like how they got that one guy in the beginning with like the 70s mustache, uh, trucker mustache kind of thing. They introduce him to you like he's going to kind of be one of these central role players and they connect you to him. And then later in the movie, he has to make the final cut on the team. And it's that guy. And Gavin O'Connor makes you really like this guy, but then shows you how emotional it is for for that player who gets cut. Yep. Brian, what did you think about this kind of the team building, the galvanization side of this movie? I mean, it, it was excellent. Uh, I'll go back to that idea that he was playing chess all along. I think he knew by picking uh, the two enemies, as it were, that it, that fist fight would end up happening. It's how he sprung the who do you play for piece. So I like I think he I mean, he really pulled a Dumbledore on this, man. It's he sort of more or less knew what was going to happen and what needed to happen in order to get where he needed to get and. Man, he really did it. The only thing that I maybe would have changed with the culmination of everything is you see him go back into the tunnel to celebrate. Yeah. Dude, I would have been like doing a handstand against the wall. <laughs> I like I, I that was underwhelming for me. Now, granted, this guy probably has much more poison class than I do. But man, I would have been doing some dumb stuff back in that hallway. He just put his hand up in the little fist bump. Boom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> the crescendo of this movie is the actual Olympic uh, games themselves, particularly the Soviet game. Keaton, what do you think about the actual hockey footage here that Gavin O'Connor is mm-hmm. capturing? I thought it was really good. Um, back A little back to the camera angles and stuff. I would have enjoyed a little bit more footage from overhead kind of camera angle just because... Being a big hockey fan, that's, I mean, that's the best way to see the game itself actually play out. And I'd like to go back and rewatch the actual game, but I thought they did a really good job of, of the game footage and making it super intense. And that's like, I don't know, a large percentage of the movie, is that that single game. I enjoyed that a lot. No, it's uh, enthralling, particularly with the music, which we'll get into here in a second. But. Uh... Brian, 1970s style. We mentioned the hair, the plaid suits. What do you think? What do you think about this movie in the 70s? Oh, actually, 1980. Uh, well, I mean, it, it feels like, yeah, 1980, but it's not like everything changed overnight. Every every decade has a little bit of high tide into the next decade. So uh, I guess, you know, this is just what you're saying this. You know, I'm, I'm ready for some, some goofy stuff like that to happen now. I, you know, just something, something needs to kick off, get something other than skinny jeans. Like I'll go out and I'll get it. I'll get a tweed coat. Like let's, let's do something fresh. Okay. Or a rewind fresh. Brian's into it. Get some Anchorman sex Panther uh, cologne on 35% of the time. It works all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love scotch, scotchy, scotch, scotch. I think that plaid jacket could make a comeback though. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. I'm bring it back. Let's bring this back. We uh, there was already an '80s revival like 10, 10 or so years ago. So let's let's get some '70s going. The only thing that won't be happening for me ever is going to be bell bottom pants. That's, they look comfortable, to be honest. That 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 one can stay where where it was. This is coming from a guy. Who, <laughs> I was gonna say this is a guy coming from a guy who owned Jinko jeans. I was gonna say. Brian, uh, you and I grew up in high school wearing bell bottoms that were like extruded from the bottom part where they bell out all the way up and like they're that baggy the whole way up. So I don't yeah, see how bell bottoms is that different from what we did. <laughs> <laughs> it was a whole leg. 
I think the bell bottom was invented by someone who's like, I want to wear shorts where like I have the freedom, but I can't. But I'll just make these pants so they don't touch the bottom parts of your calves. <laughs> I think that's probably why I think anybody who really went through adolescent years in the 90s has such a hard time with skinny jeans now because you're like, this is the opposite of what I liked. <laughs> I like the clothes when they barely touch you. That's just very comfortable. <laughs> I get why Rome walked around in like these robes all the time. <laughs> why can I see my calves? I should be able to see my calves and pants. I remember it was a dark day in college when Mary pointed out you should be wearing a medium t-shirt instead of a large t-shirt. And then I looked around and then everybody else uh, anywhere remotely my size was again wearing a medium t-shirt. And I like I was like, fine. And then I got one. I was like, oh, it's so tight. It feels tight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm constrained. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. <laughs> I, uh, I I imagine you swimming in smaller, a large. <laughs> smaller t-shirt where I did the smaller pants. Yes, I did wear a large shirt, which was absurd it like went down like at least halfway down my thigh yeah it was the style <laughs> uh sound effects and lighting and all that were just great it's amazing the sound effects in this are not taken from what's thrown on the ice they had a big soundboard full of stuff that sound like hockey sounds i was surprised all that scratching sounds of the skates and stuff like that wasn't really that was just a soundboard wow yeah they didn't sample that at all like just have a mic near the skates Nope, they just have, you know, sound guys in Hollywood just have like a, you know, if I hit the screwdriver on the table in such a way, it sounds like that thing. It sounds more like skates than real skates. Yeah. Those guys blow your mind, <laughs> I, actually. I, crazy. Yeah, I want that job. I don't know how you train for that job, but that sounds like a lot of fun. I think it might be annoying to be around because like if your friend's like, like, just like you're trying to hang out, it's like, what was that sound, guys? And it's like, it's like, no, 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 do that again. Do that again. Stop. Do that again. <laughs> like you move your like... foot just like that counterclockwise <laughs> counterclockwise <laughs> that's it that's it that sounds like something i don't know what yet that sounds like something al michaels the announcer in the game did you like the announcing in this game keaton did it feel real i yeah i thought it was really good i'm to be honest i i wasn't listening as much to the announcing as i probably was just watching the game itself which means it was yeah. probably pretty it probably felt pretty real to me because that happens a lot when I'm watching sports on TV now. Like I'll either have it muted and just watching the game, or I'll just get lost watching the game and, and not be hearing them. So the fact that that it was pretty fluid and, and natural. Al Michaels is actually the guy who called the game, though, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah, I actually thought that I, um, this was just an assumption, but I actually thought that they had just pulled the audio from the actual game. Well, they couldn't do that for everything. But yes, at the final scene, uh, that like the iconic line of like, you know, do you believe in miracles? And I mean, like that is the original one. And Al Michaels even told him, he's like, I can't recreate the emotion that I had at the time. And so they actually went back and used the original track from the actual game. But obviously there was other stuff like the setup to the game and other parts of that that he also came back in to use for. And they just... uh, tried to clean up the old sound as much as possible and to reconcile the difference. And I couldn't tell the difference. I, mean, I, I thought it was all. No, consistent. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And Al Michaels would have been so young in his career then. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that he even had the opportunity to, to do that. I know. Olympics. You got to think about it when most like things are like a series, this quite possible that that was like the sporting event of the century. I mean, like a Muhammad Ali boxing match would be up there. Um, 
maybe the game where Babe Ruth calls the home run, but that's like a play. It's possible this was the biggest deal, sporting event. Maybe I'm overblowing it because we're just, I've been living in it for a week. But um, it seems like this is like literally that big. Yeah. Again, he didn't think about it ahead of time. Like it just was in the moment. Like, do you believe in miracles? And that's how this movie got its name. That's why it's called The Miracle on Ice. And uh, Al Michaels is a part of this legacy himself. So it's pretty cool. Who would you say, like, taking Al Michaels out of it, because he's definitely one of mine, who's just going to be that... uh, that sports announcer that you'll always remember. Not John Madden. I hated that guy. <laughs> oh, man. Just explaining plays like, boom, that's a tackle. With a big yellow squiggly line all over the screen. It's just like, ah, oh, we're all dumber <laughs> from having her. You're a coach? Uh, <laughs> gosh. Um, I don't know. I, I all now. of Oakland is going to come find you. <laughs> <laughs> I think now uh, Tony Romo is going to be for the next... Oh, I hated the, him as a player, next, but he's yeah, good. He's yeah, good at his job. I think for the next decade or a couple decades, he'll be one of the best. I mean, you saw this past season. He there were so many times where he called a play before it happened. Like he would, he'd say, "Ah, he's this guy's this receiver's going here, and quarterback's going to hit him as soon as he makes this turn." And th- that it makes you wonder: Did he call the play when he would like choke in the playoffs? <laughs> I'm gonna throw an interception right now. <laughs> hey man, that's my quarterback. <laughs> I could watch Tio cry. You're right. Tony He's off to a good start though. Over Dan Patrick, over, I like him. Over. He doesn't do uh, as much I anymore. Say, I would say the announcer that always comes to mind, besides Al Michaels, is Bob Costas. Oh yeah, I like Bob Costas. Yeah, yeah. And Marv I mean, Albert I, too. He does the grand majority of the olympic stuff too doesn't he yes yeah he's i feel like he's on a lot of olympic broadcasting for sure definitely definitely not whoever does the golfing ones where they where they talk in this very monotone voice where he winds up and oh he got all of that one it's a it's a straight shot on the green the the wind did it's very good job (laughs) and i have to say not chris collinsworth either because People he drives me crazy. People in the city hate Chris Collinsworth. I'm not. I don't jump on that bandwagon necessarily, but people absolutely hate him here. Like I'd be afraid to order food in the city if I were Chris Collinsworth. You know, it's got spit on it. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just when when he's talking, it bugs me. <laughs> neutral neutral audience. Indianapolis Colts fan. Uh, Washington State resident. Brian Chris Collinsworth. Do you think that he needs to be punched in the face or not? You know, I I don't I don't know. Um, I, I don't. I would, know. <laughs> I would need a I would I would need a sampling. Um, I I feel the hate on this side of the microphone coming from that side. So like when I hear somebody speak like that, I'm like, wow, this guy must really deserve it. Like that's that's kind of how I felt about Skip Bayless forever. Mm-hmm. So. Man. I think, I, I, I think Skip it. Bayless's mother feels that way about Skip Bayless. <laughs> I I think that First Take is one of the most excruciating shows to watch ever. I used to, or I I give my wife crap for watching shows where women yell at each other, like, like the Talk or the View, Real Housewives of wherever. Oh, you mean that? Well, like... no, no, like they, they literally, it's I just find. a whole episode of, of women being snarky oh. and then one of them loses their head and then they all start yelling at each other. Yeah, no, thank That's you. what first take is for men. And I was like, I don't want to watch that either. So <laughs> I don't want to watch anybody <laughs> yelling at each other. I just want some sports talk, man. No, that's a, all great points there. Um, Keaton, what do you think about the music and Miracle? I thought it was good. It, it had that typical sports hype soundtrack 
in my opinion, and I think that's what it needed because it's such a, a great story that you have to just kind of, you know, build up those, those big moments as you would expect. Yeah, Mark Isham is the guy who was the composer. He said that he had to, he had, he had the trouble, there's a lot of victories in this movie. Mm-hmm. And he had to hold back because it, like, he had to keep that big, big, big sound for the end, beginning. So, for it. Yeah, so he, yeah, so he would keep these, just like the positives to like these warm sounding winds, he would say, or like, and then the tense moments, like where like the Russians would be on the ice, like he'd use like this brass to like give it this cool feeling. And, and um, the miracle game itself, he had to like, he let it loose then, but he had to hold back. He said it was always a temptation. I'd always want to go do more yeah. and I'd have to dial it back. So mm-hmm. sa- saving, saving it all for the end. Brian, what are your thoughts on the music? I'll tell you, and this is no disrespect for the guy who made the, the music, it's not something that I paid attention to outside of the normal excitement. And like, I just kind of let it take me. I didn't specifically pay attention to it, but I let it do exactly what it's supposed to do when watching a movie. Huh. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of got it in my head afterwards. Uh, it stuck with me somehow. I, I might have liked it more than you guys on that. And I'm also going to give them credit, or the, the producers and the directors of this, adding Aerosmith's Dream On, which... Uh, Oh, yeah, for the credits. Look for this. Keaton, what kind of fun facts did you find on this movie? It was, it's funny because I watched this twice this past week, and I noticed this comment the first time around and was like, hmm, interesting, and then looked into it a little bit, and the second time watching it, noticed it more, obviously. Halfway through the movie, maybe when Herb's wife, Patty, they're they're having a bit of an argument about Herb getting too involved and spending too much time in front of the projector watching film and everything. And they're arguing about... Such a wife thing to say. (laughs) Right. They're arguing about how much time he's putting into this. And she says, what what are we going to do? Like, is this just going to happen every four years? And he doesn't really say anything. (laughs) Yeah. And then I, I looked into it afterwards and... It basically did happen every four years. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> Poor Patty. kind of just kept going back to the Olympics. And he played... Twelve years later, she's like, didn't you pick up Wendy from school? No. Yeah. She's still there. <laughs> but following the 1980 Olympics, he coached in the NHL for a bit. And then it actually coached for the Penguins for a year. Yes, he did. Which I didn't even realize. It's a short run. Yeah, just a year, but um, then he coached the the French Olympic team in 1988. Suck like bleu. And back to the USA Olympic team in 2002. So it started in 1980. And, and that one got a, he got a silver. He got a silver, one. yeah. Yeah. In 2002. So, I mean, that was another 20 some years later. Didn't they immediately after this win go back to using professional dream teams? They let them go to it. It's not like they... Like, they took the seal off at, at not so much later than this. Maybe another... I don't know if it was the next Olympics or two Olympics later. I think it was the next one. They let professionals go. That changed, That would change everything. Because in fairness, our guys were younger than their guys. They had powerhouse players. There, oh, yeah. Which, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they said some of those guys had played together for 15 years. Right. There were 20 players on the American roster, like eight of whom were like from like the University of Minnesota who had played under... Or nine of them were college players who played under Herb Brooks. You know, these were not uh, NHL 
caliber talents that would go on to be pros. So it just it reemphasizes what he said in the beginning of the movie or the Kurt Russell said, uh, you know, I'm not looking for the best players. I'm looking for the right players. Yeah. So I did read, I think, 16 of the 20 players went on to play in the NHL afterwards. What? Huh. At the end of the movie, they uh, they they give the uh, like what they're doing. Yeah. And I didn't see only a couple of them had. Uh, I'm thinking that's what they're doing in 2004. Well, yeah, but I mean, this would be well after the careers ended. Oh, well, okay. I undersold them then. So I guess they did turn out okay. Interesting. Not the the actors, but. Right. Well, of course, not the actors. Right. <laughs> yeah. I've got one more. Uh, two days after the Miracle on Ice, the Soviet team defeated Sweden 9-2, to and they won the silver medal. And despite the 1980 loss, uh, the USR remained the preeminent power of Olympic hockey. They dominated winning more uh, gold medals until 1991 when the whole country broke up. So they had to destroy the country before they could uh, be beaten. Yeah. And this isn't really a look for this moment, but just something else that I thought they did a good job of was making the the atmosphere of the locker room feel like a like a sports team's locker room like the antics that go on that oh yeah there's one point in the background i don't know what conversation was was being had at the time but in the background you see one of the players like shove his dirty underwear in the other player's <laughs> face and i just laughed i was like yeah that, that would probably happen it probably would they're like blasting each other with soap in the shower and stuff <laughs> Man, I, I dig that scene where uh, I, uh, it might be McCallaghan, uh, his leg is hurt, and uh, he has the contusion. And again, I like how like Herb Brooks checks it out, makes sure that it's okay, but then goes in there and like lays him out there. And uh, that's such a strange, motivating thing. I'm not sure that would motivate me to see my coach go in there and yell at somebody. Uh, to, it's like, you got a bruise. Wah. Why don't you get out there and play like a hockey player? Yeah. But it's... He did that again. There was that was in the interviews, and it fired him up. Yeah, and that maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but that was one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie. Was that intermission break in game one? Because, uh-huh. I mean, that game could have changed everything had they lost. Yeah, and you see them in there trying to fight through the pain and everything, and Herb just comes in and wrecks the place, just flipping tables and screaming at everybody, telling them to fight through their their little bruises. I just thought that was an awesome moment, and then you see them all like a boss. Yeah, you see, you see them all just—they have this new attitude, and he walks out of the room, and he's like, "That'll fire him up." Yeah, Brian, <laughs> you ready for a look for this? Yeah, I just once I want to flip a table over like in mock anger to get a you know may, maybe my staff. I'll just walk back and flip the break room table over and be like, inspirational speech, and then walk out. <laughs> Um, no, I, I thought it was very interesting just how, uh, or how many times it was posted all over this movie that it was Disney. Yeah. Like the only part of this movie was Disney that, that what that felt Disney is the stickers that they slacked on everything. Even when I pause this movie on Netflix, it comes up Disney's miracle. They did that too with Remember the Titans. Like Disney's Remember the Titans. Yeah. So I just I think that that struck me that it's like okay you have this big U.S. hockey, you know, national. This is a huge thing, but you know what's bigger? Disney. 
they, they, you're right. They don't do that. They don't go, foxes die hard. Right, exactly, exactly. So if they definitely wanted you to know that, di- that this movie was brought to you by Disney. Universal's Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Disney, this is me saying that Miracle was made by Disney and that there was a whole lot of Disney on the Disney movie Miracle. I do like it when the director gets their name ahead of the movie, like when it's like John Carpenter's Halloween. I, I do like that. So, you know, yeah. Gary O'Connor's Miracle. I- I'm okay with that. <laughs> Time to hand out some awards. Why don't we uh, start it off with you? You ready? Sure. Yeah. All right. MVP. My MVP, although I w- want to say Kurt Russell because he was fantastic, I think I have to say Patrick O'Brien is Mike Ruziani. Okay. Is I, I thought he just played that leadership role so well. So it, it starts so, so early in the movie, especially um, I, I think maybe the first time he shows that leadership role is at the bar after they after they all make the team and they have to take that exam and they're at the bar and they're they're talking about the rivalry and everything and he's trying to get Jack O'Callahan to stand down and not start anything with the other guys. And then you just see it over and over again. He has these moments where he's being the leader and he, then he's the captain of the team. Team captain, yeah. Yeah, so I thought he was my, he was my MVP. If you see a picture of the young uh, Michael Ruzioni, there's... There's some resemblance mm-hmm. there as well. And they even said like when they were scrimmaging and playing on the ice and stuff like that, again, the actor who you'll have to remind me, who was the actor's name again? Oh, who played Aruzioni? Uh, it was Patrick Brian Dempsey. Dempsey. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, Dempsey, when he uh, does the role, I mean, he actually kind of takes on off screen a leadership role of the players. So he's playing the captain. But in a way, these, these hockey players – get into the feeling of a team even though they're actors so they they said that he was kind of our leader of our group too brian mvp uh i really liked eddie cahill's character uh in this character in this movie he was probably my favorite guy to watch when they were they were centered on him he played jim craig the whole time i kept thinking what do i know this guy from what do i know this guy from and then it then it clicked. It was like, oh, he's from Under the Dome later. And I was like, he's just so much younger here, and he's got like the long hair. I didn't recognize him, but, yep, that's him. Uh, well, uh, being that uh, nobody picked him, I have to go with her, uh, Kurt Russell, on this one. He uh, he's a big presence in this movie. Accounts would say uh, that he really nailed the mannerisms of Herb Brooks. I think he's laying the accent on a little more thick than the actual Herb Brooks does uh, in the interviews. He's not. He doesn't come off being that northern sounding. I mean, he is, but not not that much. And uh, he mellows out in his old age. So for me, I have a hard time seeing that drill sergeant uh, personality. Mm. But by all accounts, it was there. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> best supporting actor, Keaton. Well, I guess uh, I guess Patrick O'Brien Dempsey is a supporting actor. So yeah, he would have to be my favorite. But I also agree, Eddie Cahill was a was a great supporting actor and he had a lot of good moments as the only the only guy that mattered in that moment too and i love that scene where he's being threatened to be benched and like he's he fights back or like showing that he wants it so yeah brian best supporting actor i'm gonna go with noah emmerich on this one i think that you could have given him no lines in this entire movie, and he would have conveyed exactly what he said with his face in every single scene. Oh, interesting. Well, more on him later. That is interesting because 
Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't say this to you, but I was gonna recast him. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm oh. More, more, more on that later then. I'm gonna go with my best supporting actor, Michael Mantenuto. Uh, he plays Jack O'Callaghan. Uh, he's the hot-headed one in the movie with the Boston accent and the long hair. His fiery nature really nailed to me what I. You, you see so many players like this in the ice, and he just came off to me as like. Uh, like a hockey player, and I, again, his rough Boston accent uh, in this uh, feels feels accurate. Sadly, uh, Michael Mantenuto goes on to be a Green Beret, and he serves in uh, Operation Inherent Resolve in Iraq. And unfortunately, he comes back home for that, and uh, he commits suicide at age 35. Okay. So yeah, so he's not around anymore. But uh, I salute you, uh, Michael Mantenuto. Hidden gem, Keaton. So my hidden gem, I think most underappreciated, was the Doc, played by Kenneth Wal- Welsh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Doc Nagabads. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a hard one to that one too. Nagabads, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just thought he had so much wisdom. You know, those those one-liners that he was was chiming in when when it really mattered, teaching the assistant coach about Herb's ways, and then also being like that guy. That the players could go to if they needed to. I just thought his one-liners were perfect, and yeah, I'd say I'd say he was most underappreciated. Yeah, that's a great choice, uh, Brian. I'm gonna go with Patricia Clarkson on this. I actually marked out like three different people on this one. Did we necessarily need to see what was going on in Kurt Russell's personal life while he was doing what he did for this? Maybe not. I think so. But it goes back to the the sacrifice that these guys all all these people made to make this thing happen. And uh, I think that, you know, it's important sometimes to show the, uh, the 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 strong women that are behind other strong people. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think you have to have it because it shows you that he's dedicating that much of himself to the point where it hurts his family. Uh, that's how hard he's working at it as a coach, just as much as the players are laying everything they have on the line. Yeah, otherwise he'd seem like a bit of a jerk otherwise. Just like, hey, why don't you guys skate a bunch? I'm going to go home and have a pizza now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the Christmas scene was a sad one. You know, he, he, left, yeah. he left Christmas, you know, with his players trying to get home on time, but he didn't make it there. And, mm-hmm. you know, that would be sad. Yeah, So. Sure. My hidden gem is going to be Zinyad Memesivic. I'm sorry for the people who in the Soviet Union who doesn't, which your country doesn't exist anymore. But um, I can't say these names. But he's the coach of the Russian team. Uh, the guy with these intense eyebrows. He does these really, uh, I guess, uh, disgusted looks on his face of like, what? How could we be losing to these dirty Americans? Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> Had it written all over his face. You know, like at the end of the game, he's like, what? What? What happened? Oh. The only thing that he didn't do is pull out like some vodka out of his coat pocket and just start like like profusely drinking. He's like, oh. I've dishonored my country. <laughs> Jess got home right as I was watching that part and she's like, man, he's got like serious stink face. And I was like, that's because he knows he's going to be shot when he gets home. <laughs> so yeah, that's my hidden, that's my hidden gem. It's recast time. Keaton, who are you recasting? So Noah Emmerich was, was my recast and it's okay if you disagree. Um, but I thought, <laughs> I just thought he was, 
a little bit dull and like he he definitely has the it's intentional that he doesn't have a ton of speaking or a ton of emotion I think but for me personally I was just kind of bored with him I, I felt like he could have done more to I don't know to to take that position of the assistant coach and maybe that is really how uh Craig Patrick was in real life maybe he was quiet like that but I wanted to recast him with Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler. Let's find out who this is. He's the act, he's the main actor in in Bloodline on Netflix. He's also he's in Wolf of Wall Street. He's the police officer that takes down. Oh, okay. Yeah. The whole thing. So, I I thought he would do a good job in that position too, and I don't know what he was like in 2004, but I I thought he had that he was younger then. Right. <laughs> I thought he, he kind of fit that position of being like a quieter guy, but also really serious. And when he does speak up, it's important. More recently, I saw him on uh, Game Night. I enjoyed him in that a good bit, too. He does a he does sleazy guy well, also. Not that he needs to turn that on here, but... Brian, who are you recasting? Uh, not because I think it needs it, but... And I'm really not sure how this would have worked at the time, but how much fun would it have been to see like John Hamm play the coach? Oh, very fun. I would have liked this, but I did like. Uh, whoa, you're recasting Kurt Russell then? Yeah. Oh, at first I was I'm just like saying, John Hamm. Yeah. I'm not, but... I, I'm not saying it needs it. I'm just saying when I was watching it, and then how much I loved his his subtle charisma in Mad Men. Like, I just, I think that that could work in this scenario. And uh, I don't know if anybody else got this, but anybody else think Kurt Russell's face look fake? Like, all the close-ups nope. in this movie, maybe it's because it's the first time. <laughs> that, uh, I never had that. I watched no. it in high def, but I was like, man, it looks like he has some sort of prosthetics on his face. No. <laughs> Plastic surgery. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he doesn't really he he doesn't really have like the eye patch from like Escape from New York. So I mean, I I don't know. I just yeah I don't know. So anyway, this this was just kind of me musing about things, and I started thinking about that era, and then other people that I like from things of that uh, ballpark time, and yeah, I think that that I've definitely seen movies where John John Hamm is a hard ass, and but that also subtle charisma that he has, I think, would have worked, translated well to hockey. Okay. As for me, uh, with my recast, I'm going to go after Kenneth Walsh, who plays Doc uh, Nagabads. I'm going to put Donald Sutherland in the part there. There was actually a point in time where I was looking up movie doctors with that in mind. <laughs> but there was one guy I was trying to find, and I couldn't remember where I had seen him before, and so I just sort of dropped it. I think Donald Sutherland would do a good job of just being perplexed by her. Brooks is like, what is he doing? Like, this is against the book. He's just threw the book out. <laughs> um, I, I just, I, I'd like to see Sutherland there. Oh, I, I don't hate the guy they got for the part, though. So best shot, Keaton. So this maybe isn't the, the, the most wild uh, camera shot or anything, but I thought one of the best shots was after they do win and Herb's in that hallway by himself. Granted, it was a little anticlimactic. His... The fist bump that Brian doesn't like? <laughs> yeah, his fist bump was a little anticlimactic, but I, I thought the, the scene that they set there was perfect because this really was something that, like, since he got cut from that 1960 team that 
went on to win gold, this became his life goal probably from that point forward. Mm -hmm. And then becomes something that he personally, even though his family is in it with him and he like cheers with his wife in the crowd and everything, but this really was him. You know, this was his thing. So then putting him alone in the hallway to celebrate, I thought was the perfect way to show that like he, he met this goal and he did it. I like it. Uh, I like that scene. Uh, Brian, uh, for, as a compromise to you, would it be better if we did it breakfast club style and shot him from behind, and, like with his fist up in the air, and then you freeze frame and like you, like you you fade out, going, "Don't you forget about no, me." No, I'm just saying, like maybe maybe we're in hot water right now for our our women's team for excessive celebration on goals. So maybe it's just our generation that's just gotten too over the top with it. But I, all I know is like with that kind of win and everything you put into it and the culmination of all the little psychological things that you did and all I get is a fist bump. I'm envisioning Brian being the hockey coach of this team in, in a plaid suit, by the way. So I'm envisioning Brian in a plaid suit, like like pointing at like the Russian like uh, coach, like who's like disgraced. He's like, "Ha! I beat you. <laughs> that was me." Like doing a belly slide across the ice. <laughs> oh, dude. I would have jumped into the stands. I would have jumped into the stands, found somebody's foam finger, and then just stood there on the glass waving back and forth. Na, 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 na. Hey, hey, You heard it here first. Brian's a sore winner. <laughs> oh, I, oh, God, I would be insufferable for something like that. That much time and energy, are you kidding me? The guy I was trying to think of that I would have recast for the doctor was Terrence Stamp. Okay, okay. Brian, best shot. I like the, the, the very end shot with Cahill, Eddie Cahill. That's yeah, the basically the cover of the movie. But yeah, that's I, I, I love I love the uh I, I was telling Jess while we were watching it, I was like, I'm nervous and anxious for the end of this movie and I've seen it before. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what I if we don't that. win? I don't mean like that. I was like obviously I know what's gonna happen, but they do such a good job of jacking you up for it. <laughs> they do. For me, best shot's going to be during the Herbies uh, or the suicides where they're going back and forth, back and forth. They did a really great change uh, to show you that time had passed. And they also showed the fatigue in them. And there's this particular shot where they look down at their legs. And like you don't see it in their faces, but you see the fatigue in the legs. And again, it's the fatigue of the real actors who are in there. The lights are out in the arena. Great shot. I just thought that that captured this power of that moment. So... There's a lot of good shots in this, so it was hard to pick. But for, for some reason, that one just stood out to me as the most poignant. Best scene, Keaton. So I said earlier, but my, my favorite scene was that locker room incident that went down in game one when they were losing to Sweden. He got everybody fired up. That was definitely my favorite. Get your pads on. Big deal. You got a bruise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Brian. You want me to play? You want me to play on win leg? I'll play on win leg. I want you to be a hockey player. <laughs> such a good moment. Gosh, can you imagine the import of everything he said in that sequence if he had been from Boston? <laughs> like, imagine Mark Wahlberg in one of his roles saying all that. <laughs> Just yelling at uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Departed. <laughs> Don't look at him. He can't help you. <laughs> uh brian what is your best scene that oh that was it the, the 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 victory celebration at the very end with with cahill coming out of the goal and that's that that, that whole part and then the just the shot of him with the american flag 
my best scene is going to go to the pregame speech when he's trying to rev them up. And I, he's like, if you played this game 10 times, or we might lose them, but we only have to win one game. Yeah. They might beat nine of them. Yeah, they might beat us in nine of them. But tonight we're the best team in the world. Not tonight. Yeah. Like, I really enjoyed that. And uh, again, this is where... This is definitely where Kurt Russell earns his MVP for me in that speech. So that's my, uh, you know, I kind of get that like that little bit of a chill. So uh, when I watch that, so change one thing, Keaton. Well, I I think this this movie needs to be long to really tell the whole story, but I maybe would have shortened it a little bit. Too long. Yeah, I I think I don't know. I re- when I was thinking back to watching this when I was younger, I remember, like, as much as I loved the movie back then, I remember it being kind of a, a long movie. And, I mean, a lot of parts of it are slow in between the games, which is a, a good slow, I think, for for what they're trying to tell us. But, I don't know, maybe I would have just shortened it up a little bit. I think it was over two and a quarter hours. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Brian, change one thing. So, in, in sports movies in general, one of my favorite parts is the training sequences so everything leading up to to the games part it's it's the team meshing and gelling i'm not saying it needed to be longer i think there was an adequate amount of that but if there was an extended edition of this i'd probably watch it and i'm not saying it needs to be longer but that's that's just my favorite portion my change one thing is going to be i don't i don't need to add much time on it for this but uh, i just want to show the fact that herb has children uh, they're they're discussed, they're mentioned, but I wouldn't mind seeing uh, you know Mrs. Brooks being sad that Herb's missing Christmas and she's just there with the kids on her own. Yeah. Um, it's it adds to it intensifies that sacrifice that he's making. Small detail, you know it was there. You know you know his kids and his wife felt it. So put it in the movie, I think. And plus, what's a Disney movie with no kids in it? <laughs> uh, best quote, Keaton. Uh, a couple of my best, my favorite quotes came in the, the very first scene where Herb is trying to get the head coaching job and they're at that table at the committee's, the Olympic committee's office. And a couple of things that he says just made me laugh. Um, the committee's talking about the 1976 team, I think, that mm-hmm. was, they said, was embarrassed at the Olympics. Yeah. And Herb says, well, it, it sure as hell wasn't because you weren't good enough. And I just was like, that's that's salty you know he just gave it to them <laughs> you learn something there that he he has a plan and he he wants to win it and then they they say well that's a really lofty goal to, to try to beat the soviet union he's like yeah that's why i'm trying to do it <laughs> and it was just those those quick responses that i, I really enjoyed uh no that, that was and it showed you his confidence and what he believed in uh, and, and the players needed that confidence so yeah brian best quote Best quote's got to be, you can't do that. It's my net. They just scored 10 goals, Jim. Right now it's everybody's net. (laughs) No, that is a good one. That that was the best burn. I was just like, oh, you just got set on fire. (laughs) So mine's going to have to do during the roster selection process. And uh, his assistant coach, Craig Patrick, said, what's this, your final roster? You're kidding me, right? This is our first day, Herb. We've got a week of this. What about the advisory staff? Aren't they supposed to have a say in this? And Herb goes, not technically. I mean, you're missing some of the best players. And then Herb goes, I'm not looking for the best players. I'm looking for the right ones. That just sums up this whole movie. Yeah. I love it. On a five-star scale, what would you rate Miracle, Keaton? 
Can I break it into decimals? Yeah, you can go, yeah, half stars. Half stars. Yeah. I'm going four and a half. Four and a half? Yeah, I, I really love this movie. I think it's, not only is it a feel-good movie, but it's an awesome true story. And they do a really good job of telling the true story, I think. Like a lot of a lot of movies that have true stories, that they get off of it because they want to juice up the movie. But I thought they were they were pretty accurate here. And, I mean, if you want some goosebumps, this is a, a perfect movie for that. Absolutely. It's a... Uh... Brian, what's on a five star scale? What's your rating? Going solid four on this one. It, it's it you know it's good as it can be. Uh, I I don't throw around fives very often, so uh, yeah, solid four. I saw you last week throwing a five around. Oh, what did I five out? I'm just kidding. I'm just saying that you had like the number five and oh. you were throwing it around like on Sesame Street, like <laughs> the day's number is five. <laughs> ah 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 five. <laughs> yes. No, I'm not saying you threw it out there. Um, uh, for me, I'm going to go with the 4.5 minute match, Keaton. I, I Exactly. I love this movie. Uh, I, I somehow forgot about it. And uh, I, perhaps the reason it didn't stick with me as much is perhaps why I didn't give it a five. Uh, but I do really enjoy this movie when I go back and watch it. So glad to glad we got to do it. Brian. Absolutely. You want to help me pick a movie for next time? Yeah, let's do it. We're going to go into TMC mode, Turner Classic Movies. We're going to, let's get old with it. Old, old school. You ready? I'm ready. Option one, East of Eden from 1955. A willful young man contends against his brother for the attention of their religious father while reconnecting with his estranged mother and falling for his brother's girlfriend. Do- option number two, Dr. Zhivago, which is spelled with a Z. Uh, 1965. The life of a Russian physician and poet who, although married another, falls in love with a political activist's wife and experiences hardship during World War I and then the October Revolution. Option three, Ben-Hur from 1959. A Jewish prince is betrayed and sent into slavery by a Roman friend. He regains his freedom and then comes back for revenge. Uh, Definitely going to go with Ben-Hur on this one. Ready for some Roman revenge? Roman revenge and chariots. All right. Well, Keaton, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me. It was great to be here. Do you believe in miracles? <laughs> and Brian, thanks as always. And to all the listeners out there, thank you for listening. Please, we invite all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe to us. Rate and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook. Email us at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com if you want to be on the show or if you want to talk to us in greater detail. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? On this team, we fight for that inch. On this team, we tear ourselves apart and everyone around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch because we know when we add up all those inches... It's going to make the effing difference between winning and losing, between living and dying.